Kia ora, welcome back to Flying the Fern, powered by New Zealand Stories, Fernmark License Programme and produced by Raw Collective. This series is all about telling the real-life stories of well-known New Zealand businesses that carry the official Fernmark logo. We dig into how they came about, the challenges they've overcome and their contribution to the reputation New Zealand businesses have around the world. Kia ora. On today's episode, we have Jess Daniel from Jess's Underground Kitchen. Jess's Underground Kitchen has gone from being something of a worst-kept secret to a lifesaver for busy working families. Jess Daniel started by making healthy home-cooked meals for a friend in 2013, and within a matter of weeks, she found herself catering for hundreds of people around Auckland. She's a huge believer that fast food can be healthy and convenient. With Jess's Underground Kitchen, she's helping to fill freezers with ready-made meals of all shapes and sizes. Her recipes aren't overly fancy, it's just great home cooking that tastes amazing and isn't packed with nasties. Fast forward to today and Jess's empire includes running deli stores, producing cookbooks, delivering meals around New Zealand and appearing in a range of media. And she's made it look easy, but it's been far from it. And her next move overseas is shaping up to be another big challenge for her to overcome. Well, good morning and welcome. First job actually, Jess, is I'll ask you to you know put that on. Can you? Can you? Oh, a fern mark. Yeah, that's what we're here to talk about. Here we about. go. Fly right. the fern, my friend. I can do that for you, David. And while you're doing that, just to kind of ramp it up one more time, what is one thing you would suggest to a visitor to New Zealand as a must-do? Like, what's the big thing? Oh, oh my gosh. Where do I start? Okay. The best thing that you can do in New Zealand, I think, is go to Queenstown. Right. No matter what time of year, winter, summer, Spring, autumn, it's just so beautiful down there, such a magical part of the country. I know it's a little bit cliche to suggest going to Queenstown, but yeah, I think it's unmissable. I agree, I agree. It's a beautiful, beautiful part of the world with fantastic food products, which is what we're here to talk about too. Exactly. Now, you started your whole venture, almost a bit of a flippant comment. Someone just said to you one day, hey, you're a great cook and I like it, can I buy some of your food? I know it sounds cliche, but it started around my kitchen table. Wow. (laughs) Like so so many great businesses. Like so many great businesses. And I think that's one of the beauties of being based in New Zealand, that you can take a simple idea and you can run with it and, you know, everyone is going to support you and back you and you can actually have a really good opportunity to see if that that idea has wings. So I'd been living in the UK, moved back to New Zealand, was unemployed, typical mid-20s, you know, what am I going to do with my life next? And I loved cooking. So I was spending my days, you know, going to the supermarket and trying out different recipes. And my friends would come over for dinner and be like, oh, my gosh. This is amazing. Did you make hummus from scratch? This is ridiculous. We're like, what is this? Do you make hummus from scratch? Uh, I don't necessarily these days. Ah, I'm a bit too busy, but I do. And it's actually very easy. And you can buy a copy of my book, David, and (laughs) make your own. I'm going to count down how many times you actually start <laughs> flogging your book, right? That's one. You've got one so far. I'll send you a signed copy. That's two. Okay. And, <laughs> yep. So my friends were like, Jess, can, we, can you make us dinner every night? We'll pay you. And I was like, don't be ridiculous. I'm not going to take any money for this. And then they kept pressuring me and I thought, mm. well, what I could do if I was really smart is outsource the cost of the groceries because I love cooking. So I was like, well, if everyone gives me $10 towards groceries – I could eat for free. Whoa. And I'm not working, so this really works until it's I like find a, win, a job. Win-win, win-win. I get to spend all day cooking and I don't have to pay for it. Sounding marginally illegal, though, <laughs> in terms of food safety and tax. But anyway, let's... Shh. Okay. 
Anyway, so so I decided to do this, and so I set up this little Facebook page just so I didn't have to spam all of my friends with yep. what I was having for dinner. Um, it's very underground, hence the name, nice. Jess's Underground Kitchen. And so people would tell me if they were interested in dinner, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights, and I would tell them what I was cooking, and they'd say, one for me, please, or two for us. And That's before you cool. knew it, my home kitchen was turned into this little... Enterprise. It didn't even have a dishwasher in that flat. <laughs> so, I had a lot of dishes to do. Anyway, fast forward about four or six weeks, and, and don't tell the health and, health and safety regulators this. Okay. I realised that there was something here, that there could be a business in this, but because I was doing it from home, I wasn't able to advertise what I was doing yeah. or speak about what I was doing. So it was very friends and family. And I thought, well, this could be a job. Yeah, like a serious grown-up like job. This could be something. And about that week, I actually got a job offer. I've been doing a bit of freelance work because yeah. I had to have, you know, pay the bills somehow. And Girls got to eat. Girls got to eat. Yeah. J-U-K even. And I, so I got this job offer and I was like, oh, this is my dream job. It was a food writing position. It was like everything that I wanted to do, which was still involved with food. Wow. And I was like, oh, maybe I could do it part-time and I could do underground kitchen, you know, half of the week and this half of the week. And they're like, no, it needs to be full-time. And so I actually turned down the role, wow. found myself a commercial kitchen, and Jess's underground in. kitchen was born. All yeah. in. So many good stories are like that, eh, of someone turning down an opportunity that looks good on the surface but because they saw a bigger vision. Yeah, and it was really hard to do because yeah. everything on paper leant towards taking this job opportunity. I never started cooking for it to be a business. Yeah. Sometimes, almost 10 years later, I still wonder, if is it a business? I, <laughs> I didn't plan any of this. And yet, here we are. Wow. Yeah. So, the feedback from your friends must have been amazing. You know, that whole process of starting it up and getting through the underground and to the overground. That You know, were you getting lots of good, valid feedback that, you know, really great, you know, we love this, this is good, or could we have a little bit more of that, or... Really great feedback. And I think the most daunting part was that I'd get an email from this person called James and I'd be like, I don't know James. Who's James? How does he know about me? How did he get my contact details? And bless my friends, you know, they're always your biggest advocates when yeah. you start a business, but they were telling people at work and sharing it on Facebook and basically word of mouth was, you know, my absolute strength back yeah. in those days. Yeah. And it still is really like we don't do a lot of traditional marketing. We rely heavily on word of mouth and that's why it's so important that we stand behind the quality of our product because we want people to be yeah. telling people about what we do. That's right. Right, and that's um, quality is a big thing I want to talk about. But the one I was just wanted to ask one question because when I was talking to my family about your business, and everyone's going, "Oh, thank God for that," because it's so hard to decide what to cook. Like the cooking is a pain, but actually the deciding is even a bigger pain. Do you ever find yourself going, "Right, what shall I cook four hundred and fifty-six people for dinner?" <laughs> oh, well, I can't think of a thing. I've got nothing in the fridge. To be fair, we now have a pretty consolidated menu. Um, it's a little bit different, and the business has changed a lot in the last couple of years. Obviously, pandemic-related, partly, yeah. and also scale-related. And over the years, I've done a lot of different things, which I'm sure we'll dive into a bit later. Yeah. We call it the Jess Says Yes Syndrome in the office because I just can't say no to anything, hence doing this podcast with you, David. <laughs> so we've done a lot of different things, but I have a little post-it stuck on my computer screen that says, do less, better. 
And that's my motto for this year. Is there a comma between less? Yes. Okay, cool. Oh, yes, I have an yeah. English degree. That's good. That's Otherwise, it's quite ambiguous what you mean by that. Do less better because yep. I think one thing that the pandemic has taught us is that we really need to focus on our core business yep. and do that really well. Yeah, and that is beautifully cooked meals to people's homes, exactly. high quality, variety, healthy. Yes, exactly. Nice. But frozen meals. Yeah. So in the first lockdown that we had here in New Zealand – we were doing fresh meals and frozen yeah, meals. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah, and so the whole premise of my business was that it was what am I having for dinner? Yeah. So every day we'd have a different meal and there wouldn't be options. You couldn't pick chicken or fish or beef no. or lamb. There was one meal and we'd do a vegetarian option of that, but right. it was no butter chicken yeah. or it was a lamb tabbouleh bowl yeah. and that was what I was having yeah. for dinner. Quite so cool. That, Everyone that knows what, what Jess is have. having for dinner because they're having it too. Exactly. I have to often reflect on that. When I was a kid and a little bit older than you, everyone watched the same thing on TV every night because there was only one TV channel, but we all had different dinners. Now, everyone watches something completely different on TV, but we all have the same dinner. That's very That's true. That's progress. Yeah. yeah. And you're cooking it most of the time for us. Exactly. So talk about the quality thing again, and you obviously put high importance on that. Is that ingredients quality? Is that delivery is that the cooking? You know, what? Tell us all about that. It's everything. And I think there's two prongs to this answer. The first is that my name is on the business. It's Jess's yeah. Underground Kitchen. I'm a person. I'm a very real person. I'm very accessible to our customers. And I don't want to put my name on something that I'm not proud of. Yeah. So even despite, you know, everything we're going through at the moment with inflation and supply issues, I'm not prepared to change the quality. Yep, compromise the quality of our meals. And I think a common misconception in the sort of ready meal convenience sector is that flavour and quality is compromised by convenience. And we don't think that has to be the way, which is why we've stuck to our guns. And when we first approached the supermarkets about supplying their freezers, they said, oh, there's no way that you can sell a meal for over $10. They're just, people won't buy it. People won't buy it, really? And we we stuck to our guns and we launched a $13 meal in the supermarkets and now it's, you know, continuing to fly off the shelves. So I think it's really important to believe in your product and to stick with the quality measures that you're proud of. Yeah, and stand behind. Totally. And so because this is what I was having for dinner, you know, there were sort of non-negotiables for me, like free-range chicken and locally sourced vegetables and trying to be as fresh and and as local as possible. And so over the years, we've maintained as much of that as possible. Yeah. So is there anything that you don't like that means the whole of New Zealand doesn't get to eat, like mushrooms? Oh, I don't like really mushrooms. If I had David's Underground Kitchen, you'd never get mushrooms. Oh, we do have mushrooms. Oh, okay. No, I think we've got a pretty broad menu. Really? We cater for most dietaries. You don't discriminate? No, there's not much that you can't get on our menu. Well, on the dietary thing, by the way, I mean, because you say that, you know, obviously you want that one hero version every day, but of course now you've got to start dealing with, you know, vegans and celiac and potentially all sorts of different types of people's yeah. beliefs. I think what we did very early on is rather than trying to sector recipes into um, different categories, we just made a delicious tasting meal that covered a lot of bases. So a lot of our meals are gluten-free because we choose to use a gluten-free soy sauce and our teriyaki sauce, which is quite uncommon. And yes, it costs a bit more for us to make it because it's harder to source a gluten-free soy sauce. But Hurrah for all the people who are celiacs out there because you can have our teriyaki chicken. Well, we've got a celiac in our family, so we basically eat gluten-free all the time and there's no real difference, as you say, as long as you source the right ingredients. And I think the hardest part is when you're trying to recreate something that is not 
So if you're trying to recreate, and to be fair, gluten-free pastas and alternatives are pretty good yeah. now, but you know, the same oh, the comes bread, to, that's yeah. the one that's not good, but anyway, being vegan, you know, like if you're trying to recreate a beef dish as a vegan, it's probably going to fall a little bit short in yeah, my opinion. That's right. But if you create a delicious vegetarian based dish that happens to be vegan, then it's going to be delicious. That's so right. we just focus on that. Did you ever think of that it was a mistake putting your name on the door? Like, I often think that with, like, law firms or car yards, and they go, you haven't really thought this through. Like, there will come a day when, you know, the biggest, you know, grocery chain in the world will want to buy you, and they'll, and then they've suddenly bought your name. Well, I've thought about this long and hard. Good. And you change your name. <laughs> the name that I keep coming back to is Elisa's. Lisa's like the hummus. We buy Lisa's hummus. Yes. But we have no idea who Lisa is. Well, I think Lisa's made up like Wendy's. Well, I actually think my, in my head that Lisa was this lovely lady who started out making dips and hummus at a local market and grew and grew and grew. Yes. And eventually a big business bought her and now she's, you know, sitting on her yacht somewhere with all her millions, probably not eating hummus, but we're all buying Lisa's. You really have thought this through, haven't you? You've got your <laughs> well, whole future mapped out. Oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> Good on you. So you, it sounds like you had a really kind of DIY, literally around the kitchen table business that started and has become, you know, big now. Does that kind of... Do you think about innovation? Do you think about the way that you have had to really, you know, be ingenious on the way through? Oh, I quite like being referred to as a genius. Yeah. But uh, no, I think... Ingenious, I said, but okay, you (laughs) you believe what you want to believe. So I think that one of the real strengths of Kiwis in business is that we are grassroots, we get our hands dirty and we wear a lot of different hats. Yeah. And I can say that that's very true for my business. And still, I have a team of about 40 people now, and we have a pretty horizontal hierarchy. So last month you found me in the kitchen at 4am most mornings helping out with the chefs because we're short-staffed and I'm not above doing a delivery if, you know, something needs to get to someone urgently. And I think that's what makes a successful business person where you are still like prepared to get your hands dirty and do whatever it takes to to make your product happen. Yeah. How do you see those those sort of Kiwi values coming through in your business? Well, I mean, that's exactly it, right? Mm. Like it's hardworking, it's humbleness, it's passionately believing in your product. Yeah. And that's what gets you out of bed every morning. And sure, some days are harder than others and some years are harder than others, but you know, you're building something and when you're still proud of, of what you're building, yeah. you want to sing about it and you want to do everything you can to make sure it's a success. And when your name's on the door, you're you're even more passionate. Even more signed up. And I think your brand as well, the whole JUK brand and your kind of playfulness of imagery and stuff, that comes through. Your personality comes through in that brand and your kiwiness in some ways too. Well, I'm glad it does. Yeah. Do you put a bit of effort into that? I think so. But, and everyone always asks me, well, how did you come up with your brand? Like you're just, you're so on brand. And it's because it is it's just you. me. Like we we haven't done any, you know, expensive yeah. agency pictures or anything yeah. like that. It's literally what you see is what I've done. And we've been very lucky with social media over the years, especially before Facebook became, you know, quite a, a, pa- a paid yeah. platform. And it comes back to that word of mouth piece and people wanting to support and wanting to be engaged with yeah a small local brand that's doing something really different. Yeah, that's that's neat, eh? I mean, I remember businesses going on courses about how to be authentic, and I yeah, go, yeah. isn't it really easy to be authentic? Don't you just literally be yourself, particularly, as you say, when it's your name? 
Exactly. And that's why, you know, if I come to something like this, I don't come with a script of prepared answers because I don't need to because everything that I know about my journey over the last 10 years is, is in real. here. It's true. Yeah. That's good because I can ask you anything. Fantastic. <laughs> so the Facebook you mentioned earlier, you've done a lot of work on social media. That's been effective for you for spreading engagement and awareness. How do, I mean, how do you use those sorts of channels? I think, again, it's just about being authentic. So it's not just about posting sell, sell, sell posts. It's about sharing what you're up to or what you're doing. And luckily, we have a very engaging product because people love engaging and talking about food. And we've got some great product photography. We've got an amazing photographer. And yeah, our tone of voice comes across. So it feels like I'm talking to the people, you know? Awesome. Fantastic. What do you think in terms of the fern mark? You know, we're here talking about the New Zealand fern mark and the fact that the products that we, we come from New Zealand, we we associate with this little yes, fern. fern. Tell us about, you know, you using that because it's something that's a bit of a choice for you. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, we got the fern mark last year, I believe, and we we don't have a huge export market. We're in a couple of small markets at the moment, but yep. with the plan to expand. And because quality has always been such a huge piece of our business, it was almost a no-brainer to get the tick of approval of the New Zealand quality mark behind us. We didn't even think twice it was, you know, if that means an expat in an international market sees that and goes, that's great, or an international consumer is like, oh, New Zealand, we know that's going to be fresh and healthy and that the meat's going to be of a really great quality and the vegetables are going to be fresh, then, like I said, it's a no-brainer for us. That's great. So you think that's the associations that people have with that? A hundred percent. Like New Zealand, uh, as cliche as it sounds, is that pure, clean, green, and the same goes to all of our products, whether it's wine or food or or yeah. cheese um, or even clothing, garments. You know, we yeah. have that sort of outdoorsy, natural. Um, yeah, that stigma. Yeah, that go get them attitude. Totally. Yeah, and your DIY sort of nature a little bit. That sort of um, innovation comes through as well. I hope so, and yeah. hopefully our international customers can kind of see the story and read the story and know that they're backing, you know, a small local business that's 100% New Zealand owned and and employs a lot of local Kiwis as well. Well, 40, yeah. And let's talk about innovation a bit more because, you know, you mentioned that you've done a lot of random things. Um, Jess says (laughs) yes, apparently. What hasn't worked for you? Like what what are you learning as you try something and you go, ooh, maybe that was a bit too much? I think in some cases we've tried to carry too many products. So like at one stage I think we had over 60 different meals available on our website, which was just basically impossible to keep in stock. And we were trying to please everybody, you know, and if one person requested a meal came back, we'd do a production run, but then that would affect our production for other, you know, more popular products. So COVID has helped us consolidate some of those skews because we've had issues with supply or we just haven't had the time or, or scope to produce everything. Yeah, it's just about getting back to our core business. Nice. Yeah, and frozen meals. Frozen meals and cookbooks. Well, I, th- I think I might put those on hold because I'm getting a bit oh, grey, really? David, all the stress. I'm not noticing it, but okay. <laughs> I mean, writing a cookbook is like, in New Zealand, it's like you're either an all-black memoir or a cookbook. That's the top of the charts. Oh, I, I feel very privileged to be putting right that echelon. Yeah, yeah, I've written a few books, and not, not about cooking or about rugby, so they tend to stay at the bottom of the <laughs> bestseller charts. But I but, think it, it sounds like something that's going to be very easy, yeah. but it's a lot of work. 
writing a cookbook must be a absolute nightmare because you have to make sure they actually work. Like yeah. people I mean, might follow the instructions. It's so satisfying and I'm so proud of them. But I have a family now and I think I just don't have the luxury of time that I used to have. Yeah. And if you were to give your younger self some advice back around that dining room table or kitchen table, what would that be? Oh, that's such a good question. And I sometimes think the the reason I'm going to put this into context is I think if I ever didn't have JUK mm. and was going to do something else, what would I do differently? Because when you go into business for the first time, you're so naive. And it, and sometimes that naivety plays off and, you know, yeah. you like find yourself in situations where you can really milk it and, and yeah. come out with a good result, uh, which I've been lucky enough to do so. But I think what I would try to do is try not to hold on to it for so long just by myself yeah. and to let other people help yeah. because it's really hard to scale when you are everything. You know, I was working 16, 18-hour days from being in the kitchen right through to going home and trying to reconcile my accounts and right. come up with new ideas. Living the dream. Yeah, you're just literally everything. I was the only person running that business. And as soon as I got a 2IC which I didn't think I could afford at the time, but it was the best money I ever spent because it freed up my time. Suddenly you could actually think. You weren't just doing and executing, you were actually strategizing. And And I would do that two or three years earlier if I was to do it again and just back myself to make that decision and know the value of my time. Yeah. And so I would do that again if I was ever to have a business after JUK. And if I could go back in time, I would definitely scale it a lot faster. Cool. So media. Yes. Clearly, you get yourself out about a bit in media. You do the odd podcast, but also lesser things as well. You know, the brand, building the brand. Tell us about how you think about that. Well, I think this comes back to the Jess says yes. And I got an opportunity quite early on to become a regular contributor on the AM show. So every week I'd go along and do a food segment. Nice. And like, I wouldn't say that I'm, you know, like comfortable on media, but when it comes to talking about something that you're you knowledgeable about. and passionate about, I can ignore the microphone and the cameras and kind of just talk from right. my heart. Yeah. And I think that played a huge role in the authenticity of me yeah. because I'm not a chef. I don't have this, you know, um, star-studded background of where I came from. I'm literally just a person who cooks. So the cookbooks really helped in that respect. Being on the AIM show, I do a few regular radio interviews and people were like, oh, I heard you on Radio New Zealand or I saw you on TV. I'm sh- Yeah, you are that person. And all of a sudden, you know, just because I didn't win MasterChef or, or do something yeah. like that, I suddenly am a food personality. And so I think that's really helped in giving the brand authenticity. That's great. Mm. I like that. And you're not forcing yourself to do something you don't like. You're good at it. You're very good at it. Thank um, you. But it also it, it enhances the business as well. So it's not like a division from what you're trying to do. It's not a Jess says yes thing. This is actually Jess yeah, says yes this is the right a, thing. This is a support the business. This, yeah. this is our marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's one thing being a home cook and just sort of flicking something up on Facebook and saying to a few mates, shall I make you, you know, spag bowl tonight? I could do that, let's be fair. <laughs> it's another thing running an organisation with 40 staff or whatever you said earlier and, you know, multiple markets and all these skews. Like, how have you learned the business side of your business? Oh, there's been a lot of learning. You know, I grew up with a pretty entrepreneurial father and learned about business from a young age and I always knew that I wasn't destined for a nine-to-five job forever, that I would find a way to put my mark on something. I didn't know it would be this hard. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't. Thank God you didn't know. You might not have started. (laughs) In a way, it is something that you're born with, I think, that, you know, that knack to 
really work hard and throw yourself into something. But you're right. Like when it was just me, it was easy to do all of that. And then when you've got 40 staff, you find yourself going from meeting to meeting and, you know, you're like not really feeling like you're getting ahead or doing all of the like great creative things that you used to be able to do when it was just you. Yeah. But it also gives you accountability. And if you hire the right people, you've got this multitude of knowledge. And I'm a creative person, so numbers just like fly out the door for me. <laughs> so I have people who, you know, look at who something. Who remember that. Look yeah. at my, my brilliant idea and go, Jess, that's just not feasible. You can't make any money out of that. <laughs> yeah, There's exactly. no margin. So oh. they, they keep me in check. And, and that's the great thing about being part of a team is that you have this, you know, you bounce ideas off each other and yeah. you have less fails. Yeah. Because you catch them before they become fails. That's good, though. Not, yeah. not that it's bad to fail necessarily if you're learning from it on the way. Exactly. You don't lose the business. Now, you talk about your international expansion. You mentioned you're in a couple of markets. You've got a plan to go further when, when the world opens up a bit more for us. Yeah. We've got an opportunity to go into Australia, which is a sensible next move for us. So we're just working through production capacity and what that looks like because We'd really like to still produce those meals here in New Zealand. Wow. And keep that and quality your, control. Don't <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just cook twenty-four hours a day. We just yeah. sort of have rotating shifts. No, we have a big commercial kitchen now, but probably not big enough to take on this opportunity. So Wow, that's quite an investment. And suddenly you've got those step change things that yeah. you've got to think about if you're going to into, you know, and presumably if you're going into the sort of retail channel in Australia, that's a mat you've got to be able to guarantee supply and all that. Totally. It's not like adding another supermarket chain here in New Zealand. It's no. ten times that. So Oh-hoy. Yeah. But exciting, really exciting. There's not really a product like us in the Australian market at the moment. Right. Um, Someone so, called Jess over there. Pretty sure there is. No, no, no not like you. Barry. Barry's, Barry's <laughs> underground kitchen. I don't think I'd go there. You get a whole Barry's different type breakfast. of pro- yeah. yeah. Oh. And um, will you use your New Zealandness as, as the Jess's underground kitchen kind of brand? That's the New idea. Zealand? Yeah, we've had a lot of conversations about this, both internally and with our Australian contacts. Yeah. I think that there's enough. Even though Australia has, you know, they've got some great local provenance stories and, you know, some great food products over there. But I think what we do and the brand that we currently have in New Zealand is worth leveraging in the Australian market. Yeah. And brand New Zealand is at an all-time high in Australia, as you probably know. Yeah. And the whole story about food provenance, but also you as an individual, your kind of honesty, your truth, you know, the way that you, you know, your, your personality comes through. And I think that would really appeal. Yeah, hopefully the Aussies get it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think they like us. <laughs> I quite like the idea of a few little sort of work trips across the ditch. Yeah, well, that's the other thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you haven't got your yacht in the south of France yet, but you can at least get to <laughs> Melbourne for the weekend or whatever, that'd be cool. Yeah, a work trip, you know. It's a stepping stone in the right direction, right? Exactly. Now, I've got a question for you. Can't overthink it. Mm-hmm. What are your top three favourite dinners? <gasps> oh, my gosh. Uh, to cook for myself. Well, it's the same, isn't it? You cook for everybody, don't you? So, yeah. I know, but I could go out for dinner, you see. Like, that would be a real treat. It's you cooking. No, it's me cooking. Okay. I will tell you what I cook for dinner when I'm not having JUK. Okay. And it's always pretty quick and easy. It's normally a one or two pot meal. Um, But I'm very lucky in my household. We have a rule that I do the cooking, but I don't do any of the cleaning. Good. But I still try and, you know, not use every pot in the kitchen. But one of my absolute top easy weekday dinners is a really simple pasta and I'll use garlic, capers, lemon zest and juice, lots of chili, maybe some fennel seeds. 
and you could put some bacon or chorizo in there or whatever protein you want, but actually really delicious and simple as it is. Nice. Parmesan cheese. Done. I love a white pasta. Next favourite dish would be probably Mexican. Wow. We eat quite a lot of Mexican in our Jumping. house. Because it's just so easy, fresh, delicious. Coriander and chilli, you'll soon discover, are two of my favourite ingredients. So um, we'll either make like a beef and black bean sort of minced chilli con carne or we'll fry off some chicken pieces and do sort of more of a fajita mix. You can get some pretty incredible spice mixes at the supermarket these days. Wow. There's a Tio Pablo one that comes in a gold packet. If you can find that at your local supermarket, it's, it's not even worth trying to make your own. It's that good. Um, so I put that on everything. Avocados are in season year-round, you know, a bit of cheese, a few fresh vegetables, put that in a wrapper or taco. Everyone helps themselves. So easy. I can see why you're so good at your job. You've got one to go <laughs> to and I'm already full. Oh, so what have we said? Pasta, Mexican. <laughs> I know. You've gone from uh, Italy to Mexico. You better get up to Asia next. Yeah, well, uh, funny you should say that, <laughs> David. So I was actually going to say that one of my favourite dishes to eat year-round that has an Asian influence is uh, pork or chicken lab, oh, which yeah, is yeah. A, a salad that yeah. comes out of Thailand, quite spicy. So you take a pork or chicken mince, cook it down with lemongrass, ginger, garlic, top it with some peanuts and some, if you take some um, toasted rice and blend Mash that down in wow. the mortar and pestle or in your spice grinder, adds a really lovely crunch. And then you can add... Lettuce, you can add uh, cucumber. I like to maybe finally chop some green beans and put that through, some red onion. And it's just so fragrant, so fresh, lots of fish sauce and soy sauce. And you can kind of feel healthy, you know, even in the middle of winter. As you're stuffing yourself full. (laughs) Put some rice in there if you want to bulk it up. But it's such a great, awesome dish. I love it. Wow. I can see why you are so successful at what you do. You've got such enthusiasm and beautiful way of describing incredible food. (laughs) Thank you, Jess, for flying the food. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast series is all about highlighting the amazing work New Zealand companies are doing in a variety of sectors and spaces. If you like this episode, there's plenty more great stories from Flying the Firm podcast that you can listen to. Just go ahead and check them out where you found this one. We're also highlighting the Fernmark license program, which we talked about during the episode. The Fernmark is our national symbol and a country of origin mark that helps Kiwi businesses promote trust, authenticity and credibility by leveraging the good reputation that New Zealand has overseas. To find out more or to apply to be part of the program, head to our website, fernmark.nzstory.gov.nz. And lastly, please rate, review and subscribe. It helps others find us. Haere for now. <laughs>